Hello, my name is Aviva, and I will be having a conversation with Itza Segev for the New York City Trans Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It's February 28th, and it's being recorded on Zoom. And Itza, where are you right now? I am in Los Angeles, California. And I <laughs> am in Queens, New York, but the magic of the digital space has brought us here. I was wondering if you could share more about your name. Um, how, just, just about my name generally, like first of all. Just any details. Um, I guess, um, my first name is sort of the first, uh, syllable of my, um, of a two syllable birth name. And so it's sort of the nickname I've had since I was a kid, um, the sort of um, original name was like a, um, a biblical dude. <laughs> uh, but it turned out sort of nice because the um, Ita is sort of, um, in Hebrew, Ita means with her, uh, not a not not in the Hillary Clinton way, but like just uh, generally. And um, also sort of Ita is like uh, usually the feminine abbrevi abbreviation in like um, Spanish, which is my mom's first language. She's from El Salvador. Um, so I think those two and sort of maybe the fact that I was so far from home and wanted to keep something a little familiar was sort of the, that's kind of how the first, name came to be and my last name is actually a sort of um I was born in Jerusalem and sort of part of the Zionist like project was to erase any sort of sense of like diasporicness amidst Jews to sort of like invent this new kind of quote-unquote Israeli identity and so they would change names that sounded either Eastern European or Arab Jewish in other cases um to these like quote-unquote Hebrew names um and so Segev is actually a, a version of that of a, of a different name and um yeah it's interesting it's um I, ha I have some feelings about that uh and also have a bit of a more tumultuous uh relationship with like um my father if I'm being honest so I think there was some questions around that last name but also I, in the end of the day, I feel like it sort of tells part of the story, even if it's not the parts that I'm necessarily like only proud of, but that is also part of who I am. Yeah. Right. And so um, you mentioned that your um, parts of the, your name connected you to being um, closer to home. So I was wondering if you could describe that um, your earlier childhood or where you first called home um yeah I was I was born and raised in uh, Jerusalem um I was born in 1989 so sort of I think it was it's a, I think it's a very specific time to be born generally uh it's kind of I don't know I guess I guess 
depends on what era you're in, but there's some sort of tension between, I think, old and kind of quote unquote new world in in night. Like the 90s were coming, like the Berlin Wall just fell, like the fucking Soviet Union just collapsed. Neoliberalism kind of like is starting to do her thing. And I think in uh, Palestine, Israel specifically, like it's like after the first intifada, it's when the U.S. starts like getting into um, um, sort of more militarized obsession with the Middle East and like the Gulf War was happening. Um, so I was like, just a bit that I think I was I was a baby when we were sort of like when when those when those like alarms were going off from the fear of some sort of like biological weaponry. Um, so that's kind of my first memory. I didn't mean to start so so stark, but uh, and um, yeah, and then I spent the majority, like almost all of my childhood, in in uh, Jerusalem, um, um, which is a, a very specific place. I I don't. Um, exactly know how to like sum it up in in English but I think it's like it has weight to it you know it's 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 old like it's literally old you're sort of walking around these these stones it's um very important to a lot of people there's a kind of like heavy reverence that I think when you're from there can be a little um wild and almost silly like I think a lot of my sort of like humor comes from sort of like seeing these people from all over the world take this thing very very seriously that you're like is is just um you know it's uh you you like climb on these um trees near your house and then you realize that they're like the trees that supposedly made jesus's cross you know what i mean and there's like suddenly this like oh i fucking got it this is a lot um and it's like, it's intense. It's kind of everyone is in everyone's business in this way. It's like, there's a kind of friction or tension that um, can be really scary, but also kind of like warm and familiar. Um, at a certain point it erupts. Um, I was like in uh, elementary school and middle school when the second intifada started. So there were more like buses. Um, that were like exploding not too far from my home. And that kind of became like part of my childhood experience. Um, and then there's obviously also this like untold narrative of the people who lived there before uh, we got there that's present and not present. Um, um, and yeah, and it's, it's, it's somewhat, you know, it's, it's religious and, and sort of like, so it's a little pervy in a way, but also like sexy. Like, I feel like it's sort of like, there's like the sort of like outwardly, like very sort of like hetero, like family religious structure that is obviously very difficult for queers. But then I think because there's so much pressure around that, there's actually also this like whole kind of like underworld where, um, 
you know, it's, it's always like when I go home and I like open like um, a, a dating or a hookup app, it's always like the, these like priests and Orthodox religious people and like all these like very kind of like people who might deal with a lot of like suppression. And then there's like this specific kind of hunger. So it's like fucked up, but also sexy in a way. I don't know I'm I'm probably just rambling, but I'm trying to. Oh, I think. Were you aware of the, any parts of the underworld when you were younger, or like aspects of like queerness or transness that? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I was like, this is. I was. I think I think transness was like. I think I was aware of like gay people. And I think there was like, there's this weird term in um, Hebrew where you call someone like coccinelle, which is actually the name of like a very famous sort of like old school French transsexual like showgirl who um, I think was one of the first girls who got some sort of gender affirming surgery, but she was like sort of touring around and she came to Palestine, Israel and her sort of visit was so like um outrageous that it kind of became like the the equivalent to like tranny um um which is like to this day it's like a slur but is also reclaimed by some and it's sort of you know i think it's it's you it's kind of like an umbrella term that like is relates to like trans women and like sissies and like faggot like you know it's sort of like the derogatory so I was sort of like aware that like an embodiment of a certain kind of femininity exists and is really bad um and I think there were like trans women there were a few trans women we knew about but they were all you know it was like rough like today I like think they're amazing and iconic and kind of part of my power like I sort of like claim them as like models but back then it was like you know they were in the streets and they were like oftentimes like loud in relationship to all this like kind of bashing and there was like they were hypersexualized and there were like talks about like violence so I think they were and you didn't sort of like see them really co- coexist in society like outside of these like nightlife street spaces um so and, so that was sort of one introduction to trans people and women specifically and then there was sort of like there was randomly like a a very famous trans woman who like won the eurovision song contest on behalf of quote unquote israel um who's this like iconic like jewish yemeni trans woman named dana international and she was sort of this anomaly. And I think, you know, later on, I learned that um, if you want to be trans or queer and, and accepted in society, that that you sort of need to take on this like nationalism and then you are of use, you know, um, to the agenda. Uh, so once she won this competition on behalf of quote unquote Israel, after it wasn't won in a while, she was suddenly like considered an icon. But a lot of the like talk shows and things that I remember her talking on were, you know, it was a lot of sort of like this kind of 90s like obsession with transition, with genitalia, with and and this kind of um this kind of like mockery that she had to be one step 
ahead of. So it wasn't, it wasn't exactly, there wasn't, it. she didn't, I don't think she had kind of the possibility of like a kind of transparency or vulnerability that would allow me to be from, that allowed me to be like, oh yeah, I recognize myself in her, you know? Um, so that was, yeah, so transness wasn't really a possibility, but I did know about growing up like, about sort of some idea of queerness. And then I think wantingly or not was also always um, attracting this kind of attention in these ways that were like confusing. Uh, I have an older sister and she's really beautiful and we look alike. And all these like dudes from school who went to school with us would be like, oh my God, like, you look so much like your sister, I would put a like long wig on you and da 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 da. So there was sort of this like hinting at attraction to me because of femininity, but then it was like tied to my sister, which is a little fucked up. So it was sort of messy or happened in these ways that were kind of like illegible and chaos, slightly chaotic. Yeah. Um yeah <laughs> and um how did you relate to religion at that time since you were in Jerusalem and you were yeah um I mean I come from I guess what would be considered according to sort of like Israeli standards as like um um like a secular family um but I would say there was sort of like a division between the two sides of my family like my dad's side of the family is like devout atheists kind of and are like very sort of anti-religion um and like religious imposition specifically sort of like the idea that like the sort of like Jewish very religious people are trying to like take over Israeli society and like dictate, you know, in Jerusalem, it's like, um, when we grew up, like coffee shops weren't open on Shabbat, there were no buses. And every time there was one coffee shop that would want to open, there would be like demonstrations in front of her, in front of the coffee shop, or like, you know, there was talk of like a supermarket that might be open. So there's sort of like, 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 uh, a certain kind of religious Jewishness is just very embedded in that city. And my like dad side was very resistant to that. But then also sort of like my, like my dad and uncle would be like, we're not Jewish, we're Israeli. But also um, clearly they knew that the type of Israeli quote unquote they were was a different, very different kind than like a Palestinian who had an Israeli passport and they weren't quite like accounting for, you know, the, the, the Jewish supremacist, like that they are, they are being, um, they have access to so much because they are considered Jewish, whether they, they want to identify that way or not. And also obviously what brought their side of the family there, it's sort of like all tied into the story of, of Jewish people. 
Um, but in terms of religion, they were very anti that. And then my mom's side of the family were like, not so much religious in terms of like concepts of God, but very like um, tradition was super like important. Um, so like, I never missed like a Friday night dinner at my grandma's place. And like, we went over every like, you know, we did all the holidays, we maybe fasted in Yom Kippur, we like, like the the cultural life um, was structured around Jewish like cultural identity, but less like a God thing. And, but they also came much later. So my, most of my mom's side of the family is, is between like, currently between El Salvador and, and the US. So I think they have a much more sort of like diasporic Jewish, like within these very, like in El Salvador, there's like 200 Jewish families or something and everyone else is Catholic. So I think you're sort of like, your sense of identity is, is very different. Right. And did they immigrate from the war to El Salvador or how did? Yeah, so my grandma ran away when she was 13, my great grandma heard like Hitler's election speech and was like, we're out of here and managed to get a visa to Sao Paulo, to Brazil. Um, and so they like went on a boat with nothing to Brazil when my grandma was 13. And my grandpa did the same thing um, to El Salvador and actually went back and forth to sort of save a bunch of Jews. Um, they So they went after Hitler came to power, but before like, the sort of extermination started um yeah and then uh they were there for many many years and then the sort of um civil war started in el salvador um which is not not similar to you know it's, it's kind of america's fault too and and um my grandpa's cousin got uh kidnapped uh and killed and sort of they were at risk from a very different position this time like they were they were like white um moneyed people in el salvador you know so i think it was it was in their experience they had to be displaced for like the third time or something but also the position was very different than the one they had in like eastern europe um but yeah that's sort of how they how and, we all and how did your parents meet? Um, so my mom immigrated. My dad was born. The, my dad was born in in Tel Aviv. Um, my mom was in El Salvador, and she sort of immigrated to um, so called Israel when she was in her early twenties. She was actually kind of like a socialist and like the late sixties anti war movement gal and I think was sort of lied to and was under the illusion that like she'll move to a kibbutz and actually Israel is going to be this like equal sort of like anti-capitalist society as opposed to like El Salvador and the U.S. Um, which obviously didn't didn't quite turn out as as she thought but she was there and she went to a Purim party and, and my dad was at the Purim party. I think he was drunk and dressed as a pirate and she flirted with him and that's how they met. And um, yeah, so how did kind of 
growing up in such a deeply politicized and also religious, irreligious household, how did that um, influences the choices that came next for you in terms of like teenagehood, adulthood, how you perhaps began? I know it's a larger question, but yeah, that's hard too. Um, okay, so um, I'll ask. Yeah, what were some sort of ways that you started to kind of see outside of the framework of how you were brought up? Um, I think there was sort of, you know, the, I think there was like a very early like connection I made between things that were going for me interpersonally and things that were going like large much largerly in the region like as a kid I was I think I had this experience of kind of experiencing like some abuse in my household and that being sort of gaslit or asked to be normalized because of um the trauma of the of the person or people enacting it um and so I think I had this like deep feeling that this isn't fair. And I think that kind of created this affinity with these contexts or people who I recognized like emotionally, I didn't have language obviously that this is kind of the same. Um, so that was kind of my childhood. I was actually like very political, very young. Um, and then I think when I uh, entered like teenage years, I was sort of like um, starting to realize that I'm, I'm, I didn't have language, but that I'm queer or that there's, there's something like that is different in this way that puts me like at risk. And I think I immediately associated that with a need to like assimilate into like, certain power structures so I was like okay in order to sort of like kill this part of me that I won't survive if it will be out there I need to like become this version of a quote-unquote man which means like going to the scouts and going to the army and doing sort of like all these like you know the the like gender and nationalism are, are tied very deeply um so I think that was sort of in some way this really awful period um but that but the flip side of that association with kind of like this freedom I think because I sort of like tried to fake it tried to fake it tried to fake it and then there was like um it kind of all all came, came crashing down at the same time um I was in, I was like in combat training. I had this girlfriend who I didn't, you know, I, I was attracted to men, but I had this girlfriend and like, she broke up with me. I got injured during training. And there was this moment where I was like, this, this attack on um, Gaza started that a lot of my people who I was in unit with went to and I sort of was saved and from both causing harm and, and having harm done on me in that way by being injured. So there was like this moment where kind of like the whole, this whole thing I was trying to build really collapsed and I was just too tired to um, 
put up that kind of front anymore. Um, and so I think because it was all tied in, it kind of like in a toxic way, it also allowed me to kind of be like, okay, I, I get a chance to, I don't know if start over, but I get a chance to like reinvent myself, like let this shell of me die with these beliefs and kind of like reinvent myself in a way or something. I mean, I, to be honest, I first tried to escape it, um, but then that that didn't work either. And then I was like, okay, I, so I don't know if that answers your question, but. I mean, that's a, a beautiful start. I guess I'm also wondering, since you said you, yeah, tried to escape it, what does that look like? What did that look like? Um. So, So when I finished my sort of mandatory army service, which um, I obviously wouldn't, I don't know why I need, I feel the need to say this disclaimer, but wouldn't, would have never, um, d you know, I would, I would obviously have refused to go today, but I didn't back then. And when I finished, I think there's sort of like the, 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 the common thing in, in Israeli culture is for for these kids who finish the army to go for like a year somewhere cheap in the global south to sort of like do drugs and spiral and see beautiful things and then like get reintegrated into society as like students. It's a sort of like weird, really accepted uh, year that it's probably a lot to say about, but I, I didn't have that impulse at all. Um, because I think by the finishing, you know, during my service is when I came out as, as at the time gay and sort of there was, and yeah, there was like, it was really intense in Jerusalem. It was really intense with my, um, my family, my dad specifically, there was like some thoughts that I should go to like conversion. It was really fuck, a fucked up time. Um, and so I knew I needed out, but I also felt that I like, wasted a lot of time um like my main feeling about the army and then was like wow what a fucking waste of three years of my life like I'm never getting those back and so I think I was sort of like eager to um like discover discover myself within the context of a new place so I I, I sort of went to New York for like a few months uh what was supposed to be a few months and then um fell in love and all this stuff happened. And I sort of ended up having the like opportunity to stay. Um, and so I think my first few years in New York were, I wasn't aware, but I think I was also, I was like partying a lot. I was doing a lot of drugs. I was like in acting school. I wasn't, I wasn't really politically involved in any way. I was sort of frustrated when people would immediately, when I would sort of say my name or where I'm from and, you know, people have a very specific reaction. I sort of like wanted to distance myself from that. I was like, why don't I just get to be like a normal girl, whatever. Um, and also I think I sort of, it was an interesting time because this was right around when like gay marriage was um, becoming like legal and, and all that shit. So I think, there was a part of me that still was like, okay, I get to sort of like kind of be with a 
people I'm attracted to. Like I get to be with men or whatever. And so um, I kind of latched on to the opportunity of sort of like supposed normalcy. I was like, maybe if I, maybe if I stick to like gay, I can still have these like ideas of like children and a family and a job and like um, not again, fall into that sort of like scary pit of like what I knew trans women to be. I, I wasn't conscious of this, but that's what I mean by escape. It was kind of like avoiding both the gender stuff and the political stuff and, and kind of trying to in some ways assimilate. And when you came to New York, where did you first land? Like, where were you living? What school were you going to? Um, I went to this acting school called the William Esper Studio. Uh, it's like a Meisner acting studio in New York. It had like a two-year program that, to be honest, was like quite easy to get into and also like provided um, like a visa, which was which was part of the decision. But also it has it has like a good reputation, no shade, but um uh so I was I was studying there and I was living in this like honestly pretty gorgeous room in, in Clinton Hill um like Fort Green border um which obviously I I I, I in some ways contributed to the, to the gentrification so this is not saying that I didn't but I, and also it was just like a very different neighborhood than it, than it is today this was like 2011 um and um yeah and then I I I sort of the the man I was in love with was a DJ um amongst other things and he lived in this like pop, sort of infamous pop-up nightclub so it was like this house that was also a music studio and they would throw these like giant parties that went into could you name the the nightclub or what the parties were called yeah it was it was called the Marcy Hotel and it was um, started by this record label of actually, which was funny because he wasn't Jewish, but they were all ex-Orthodox Jews who grew up in Brooklyn and then like left religion and found like rave culture. Um, so it was sort of funny to be on the other side of the world and like fall in love with this goy. And then he was like, here are all my friends. And they were all like, Zev, Gadi, Eti, Chaya. Like they were all these... Um, which I guess was also very, they're, they're wonderful people. And it was also like familiar in that way. But um, they had this sort of club called the Marcy Hotel um, that honestly threw pretty amazing, like like very drug-fueled and somewhat chaotic, but also amazing parties that um, I was just like, oh, this is New York, you know? I, I But looking back, I was like, wow, this is a sort of, wild scene to just stumble stumble upon so I spend a lot of time there and eventually lived there too wow yeah. and so beyond sort of like or perhaps it's only that but what other kinds of people were you connecting to at the time was it um, I think I was connected to those people I was sort of connected to this like international group of students who were all I feel like all my friends were my best friends from acting school were like 
this amazing girl from South Africa named Tuli and this girl from Norway named Heidi and sort of we were kind of the, the international crew um and and then at some point during acting school it was a bit of a it was it was you know somewhat of a it was a bit of an identity crisis because I would be very, very sort of anxious by these. I was positioned in a very specific way because this was before I transitioned. So I would have to sort of like, there was something about performing and kind of like exploring like the relationship between like narrative and body and like that whole process that they allow you to do in acting school that felt very right. But then there was something about like, the roles I was given that felt very wrong. And I think that made me like very anxious. And the more anxious I got, the more I, they kind of pigeonholed me into these kind of roles in school. They were like, oh, you have to be sort of like the neurotic Jewish kind of gay, whatever. So it was, um, it was difficult. And I had one um, really amazing movement Alexander teacher named Judith, uh, graduates who I still love who I felt like was the only one who kind of saw some power in me uh and saw like something sort of beautiful and special um and that was kind of a segue to get introduced to like um downtown performance movement dance experimental theater world um which which was the segue to get introduced to kind of like a different kind of like there were there were a lot of queers there um i think it was comfortable because in that context i could perform and i didn't need to kind of be a gender on stage like i didn't it wasn't you know it wasn't like that kind of naturalistic like i am a singular character i, I could be a, a starfish if i wanted to you know so um so at some point that was sort of also an introduction that in light life was how I got kind of had a bit more also friends or community that were like queer people um, outside of my friends from home. Like I didn't mention it, but my sort of probably biggest life blessing is that my two, two of my like closest friends since that I've known since elementary school were, were both queer and we happened to like, grew up together in like elementary school, high school and continue to be really good friends. So it was funny because I actually had more of a queer community back home than I did in my first years in New York. But then it kind of, yeah, that was how I got there. And did you stay in New York or um, what's the trajectory after your early years? Um, yes, yeah, so I stayed in New York pretty much for... 12 years I mean on it I I left during the pandemic which we can get to for a bit but I was New York was like home so I I stayed in New York and then sort of slowly started to come into my like at the time queerness and um and politics um yeah I would love to know more about that uh yeah, I think 
it's it's again hard to sort of point to a specific moment, but there's these, I think sort of um 20 like 14 was a year where I started like taking these like performance workshops or making work in more of queer contexts and sort of through that also like reading more books by queer by and about queer people and um like I remember I put like nail polish for the first time which felt like a very big deal and um in the summer of 2014 I was um nannying this uh this this child I was sort of au pairing with this family that uh was from the U.S. but they got a job in Paris in London and they were like do you want to come au pair for us and I was like sure so I au paired there that summer and that summer there was a really um intense attack on uh, Gaza and I think it was maybe the first one of that scale um since I was there and since I was sort of, uh, you know, more deeply involved. Uh, I think, again, I didn't have language, but in 20, in 20, in 2009, when I was in the army and my friends went into Gaza, um, was sort of, that was a, that was a huge moment of dissonance for me because it seemed so awful both for them from their experiences and also some of them were telling these like horrific stories kind of lightheartedly about sort of the ease in which um, entire Palestinian buildings were being like bombed and destroyed. Um, and so I was kind of getting more of a firsthand experience of how terrible it is, but then also seeing the news and the national narrative about it being like heroic and self-defense. And I think that was kind of a dissonance that I didn't want to really deal with. And then when it happened again in 2014, I think I was sort of triggered in a way and, and activated. And I think it was the first time that I kind of viscerally realized that um, the fact that I leave doesn't make the thing stop. Um, and is actually like not, uh, it it will only stop when it stops. Like it, it, uh, being far away doesn't. Um, it, it's where I'm from. It's it's part of. It's a huge part of who I am. Like I couldn't. Like I I I think whatever denial I tried to do or whatever cut I tried to do between past self and current self kind of dissolved in that way, and. I was in London and there were these like giant Palestinian protests and everyone around me was sort of like, God, be careful. Like you're Jewish and queer, like you shouldn't go to these protests, like as if the people in the protests would sort of um, be especially like anti-Semitic or homophobic or transphobic or something. And something in me was like, I actually feel like I, I wanna protest the thing that's going on. And I sort of went and um, it was it was nothing like those warnings. It was a beautiful, powerful, sad, heartbreaking, big action um, in of predominantly Palestinians wanting to defend their people and their home. And uh, I think 
that to me in the sort of like Palestinian solidarity front was kind of in some ways when I transgressed something in a way that there was kind of no going back. Uh, and then in the trans stuff, it was like slower. It was, it was like, it was like me being fascinated with trans things, but acting like it's just cause I'm, I'm quote unquote, like me buying a book, you know, like me being like, I need to read Janet Mock's memoir, but also having this like existential crisis when I go to the book, like going to the bookstore five times, picking it up and putting it back down, but I'm not understanding why it's so scary. And then like buying it and like in uh, blue stockings and like sitting on the Williamsburg Bridge and reading it front to back and just like weeping and not understanding why. So I think encounter with these trans narratives um, and then in some way bravery, there was moments where I was sort of the first time I kind of like went out wearing more explicitly femme clothing. I got like attacked, uh, not too intensely, but in, I mean, intent, I, more intense things happened after, but at that time it was like, I think that sort of sent me back in, um, and eventually there was just a moment where I was in, I went to this consultation and therapy or something. I remember sitting in front of a person and saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then the person was like, I think you do know. And then I sort of took a moment and it was sort of, I like said it out loud for that. It was like, I think I'm trans. Um, and, uh, it kind of was so terrifying, but also there was this strange sense of alignment. There was a strange feeling of like feeling so lost on, on so many levels for so many years. And suddenly there was this force that I was like, oh, I, I know, I know what I have to do. Like, and that, that was kind of worth risking everything for, I guess. Yeah. Mm. And when you say you knew what you had to do, what did that mean? Um, it was, honestly, I was at the time in a very toxic relationship with my father. I was in, uh, I was married, I got, I got gay married partly because I was with my partner and partly to stay in the country but I was in, I was living with a person I was with from the moment I moved to New York. We were together for six years since I was like 22. Um, and uh, I knew he like couldn't handle that on, on a variety of levels. Um, and, and so I think, I think it was a combo of things. It was like stopping talk, like I stopped talking to my dad, I got a divorce. Um, I like, um, got more explicit in like my art and everywhere that this is sort of like what's happening, which I think sort of like positioned me in this very, like I was suddenly making with and for trans people in, in the context of my work. Um, and then eventually it was like, that sort of like that sort of like big learning curve of like 
learning how I want to look and what I want to wear and like if and how I want to do my makeup and my nails and um and then sort of like pursuing a medical transition um I think there were yeah I think there was sort of you know I think I think there's something about I don't want to talk for everyone's experience, but I think there's something about like trans femininity where you don't really, unless you're in a very particular situation, you don't really have like the luxury of space and time for these like kind of minute and lush explorations, you know, like you realize something about yourself, you step in the street and you encounter violence. And then you sort of like immediately have to decide what to do in relationship to that. Um, I think that's something I get sometimes frustrated that it's sort of misunderstood and almost like sometimes I feel like there's almost like this moral superiority by certain people in like trans community about like an ability to be like agile or fluid that that isn't necessarily understood as like indirect relationship to safety um but it was it was I was in a I was in a I was in a, a bit of a rough neighborhood. It was rough, you know, I, I, it was rough. So it was pretty immediately like, okay, how do I defend myself? And in some ways, how do I, um, how do I transition both to feel closer to myself, but also so this like day-to-day hell in the street stops. Um, and what were some solutions you came to around defense or safety in that regard? Um, Honestly, nothing groundbreaking. Like a girl, you know, my friend Tian gave me mace and uh, I like started carrying like a self-defense thing around. And uh, it it also it also changed because the type and way the violence work changed. Like I think at first when I started transitioning, I was like kind of leaning into a sort of more gender non-conforming aesthetic that was like... Um, it was like looks it was like out it was a it was a bit more like uh like the word i'm looking for is it coming to coming to mind but it was sort of like it was it was like queer and 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 sort of like not gender non-conforming in this specific kind of way and i think that kind of functioned as armor which i think in some ways um brought this more a lot of like a lot of like mockery and looks and these kind of like micro interactions that just add up in a nightmarish way but it was it was less of the sort of what later on became more of this like sexualized does the person know or doesn't know um like i think once you're trans womanhood or femininity is is legible in a certain way that the type of gaze and violence changes so it became less frequent but in some ways more more intense when it did happen and I think that's actually so I think at first my strategy was like I don't give a fuck like relax um but but really being triggered most of the time and then at some point it was like, oh, I just need to be like on on real alert, like 
I can't afford a certain kind of like daydreaming um, and, and, and a million other things that, that are, I, I don't exactly know how to name, but you just like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very vast skill set. you know, you just kind of learn to get better at a bunch of shit um, or not better, but more, more skilled, I guess. And were there other friends um, or peers to talk to about this? Or sorry you... for this noise. Oh, sorry. Um, I was asking if there was other peers or friends to talk to about this, or did you feel isolated in your experience? Um, both and. I think I got really lucky. It it kind of turned around in a way, but I got really lucky because I was sort of from the beginning of, in the first years of my transition, like I was also working on this show that I kind of got a, I got a two year residency for and was kind of my magnum opus in some ways. And um, I got to be in charge. And, and so I had like a group of like trans women who I was working with on that. Um, and also we had all these in progress showing and a lot of like trans people would show up to that. So that kind of became like a central pillar that, and I, and I became some of very close friends to some of the girls um, who I worked with. Uh, and so, and so I had like friends, I had community in that way. I think, and I think in other ways I, I didn't really know what was, I didn't really have the, there wasn't, there wasn't, in hindsight, I was like, wow, you were doing stuff before you took the time to understand what you were doing in many aspects of my life. There wasn't like a period, like, like trans people who discover, who figure out that they're trans probably deserve like a six month paid retreat. You know what I mean? Like, there should be a period where you're just kind of like sitting with it and like slowly kind of mulling over what it means to you. But, but I didn't, but that wasn't like a possibility. So it was immediately kind of go, go, go. So I think in that way I was probably, and probably still am compiled a lot of like trauma that I wasn't processed that was lonely. And also I think there was in the first few years, this cut between me in New York and me back home. Um, I didn't have really anyone who had gone through that in, in both these spaces. And so I think, I think I needed to transition in some way back home in order for it to become like real. Um, and what did that look like? Um, it was a journey. I think I, I didn't go back for a few years. Uh, and then my sister got married. So that was the first time where I was like, okay, I have to go back. And so it was this weird thing where sort of my first time re-meeting 200 of my family's closest family and friends was at my sister's wedding. Um, and in the sort of performance of the like sister of the bride. Uh, so there were like a lot of layers for that and it was very overwhelming and I also had not seen specifically like my dad which I didn't talk to there was like a lot of there was a lot going on there um but uh but it was also like kind of ripped the band-aid off in a way I think um 
like it was, I mean, I was, I guess in some ways very lucky that, you know, people had a variety of ignorant and chaotic and like blunt and inappropriate responses, but there weren't at that time in people who were actually still in my life responses that were like um, explicitly like mean hearted or like the intention wasn't like to sort of like go again, like I, like, e like even the things that were hard, I was like, okay, I think that I could sense, I think that this is going to be a process, but that there will be growth. So I think it was sort of like, in some ways I realized that I won't, um, oof, this is, yeah, in some ways I, I realized that I won't be shunned um, by these people who I didn't know how they would react, uh, I think. I think I really thought that I, there was a moment where I really thought that I might like lose everything, you know, like lose all my connections. Um, and that didn't happen, which was a blessing. And also I was like, I know I just needed the physical. I was like, okay, this is how you, this is how you walk down the street. This is what you do when a person misgenders you here. This is the, like, this is how it works in this language. Like there's just like this kind of stuff that even if it was hard, feeling it in person was in some way a relief because it was like not theoretical or, or unlike, um, like I was there, you know? Um, and, and then I think during the pandemic, I sort of, because of a variety of circumstances, found myself there for like six or seven months, um, which was the first time I, uh, the first time I had spent more than a few weeks there since I left, like, you know, for 10 or 12 years. Um, and I was also a bit later in my transition. I had gone through like some, some, like I'd been on moons for a while, like I'd had some surgeries. So I was being perceived more in alignment with my gender. Like I think people don't, like sometimes when it can get really intense, I'm not saying, I think there's something funny about the fact that people over there don't expect trans people to exist. And so you're like either one thing or another thing, which is of course very fucked up, but there's also, if it kind of works in your favor, it's a bit of a relief because no one, no one kind of gives it a second thought in a way. Like there's, there's something about, there's something about being hidden that isn't only bad. Um, mm. And so I think that my experience, so I think I, that that was a time where I both got to like integrate myself into relationships with my family and into a sort of the experience of like walking around. And that was really where I was like, okay, like I, I am, I understand better how it is here for me now. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's am I talking much? No, this is you. <laughs> you should be talking. Um, I also wanted to ask you since I encountered you through your, your art, your work. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. If you wanted to speak more towards that in any iteration, if it's about the two year show you were working on or what you're making now, just any entry point into 
your work? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think there was something interesting. I think there was, I think, um, there was something about sort of like the, the discovery uh, the the understanding of both of the way of, of the fact that I'm trans and the ways that unlocked some memories about where I'm from and the relationship between like my politics as an anti Zionist and me being a trans woman that felt like like a huge discovery for me like the ways that those two things are connected um and the ways like these narratives were told about who we are and where we're from um, exist in a huge gap from reality. And then like, what is the process of sort of like what we then called like the necessary heartbreak of coming to terms with this gap. Um, and so we sort of, me and my collaborators were like, let's make this show that kind of like uses that and kind of uses my story mate partly because I was still figuring it out and also as kind of like a Trojan horse because everyone wanted like trans autobiographies, but no one wanted to talk about like anti-Zionism to sort of create this kind of like, in some ways, epic kind of like many care, like I was the only performer, but multi-video, many character kind of performance that that like reckons with um, that process of coming to terms um, with those things. Um, and I worked on that for some years. It was on with the one hand amazing. I learned a lot. On the other hand, today I also, you know, I have years later a, a, a different understanding um, I think there's something interesting about the fact that like cis people really love the moment that trans people begin their transition because trans people when we begin our transition is when the majority of our energy goes to sort of like conceptualize our the, the mere existence of our transness or how we got there like usually or not usually but a lot of times I think for trans people there's sort of like yeah, this moment where you realize something and then you need to deliver some sort of narrative to the world to sort of like explain how you got here. So they, so people join you on this journey. Um, and cis people love that because cis people love reflections on, they love their little juicy reflections on gender where they can like realize something about the, the, their, their own gap between the ways they were taught to be men and women and da 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 da. Um, yeah, and 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 um, it's easy to get stuck there because of that, uh, because there's a hunger for that sort of narrative and 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 gaze um, that isn't really the question. There's like, okay, well, how did I become trans? What does it mean to me to be trans? But those questions don't really answer the question of like, now how do I live? What is my life about? What is my day-to-day -day life about? Like, um, I think like no 
shade, maybe a little shade that, and I include myself in this, but I think that's why sometimes trans people in their early years are, are a little annoying. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you could say this <laughs> in this context, but I was a little annoying because you talk a lot and you know kind of a little. Um, and um, Well, it's like self-definition is just so, it's all consuming. It's just like- it, Right. Right, which which I have a lot of compassion and understanding for, and also like, in some ways, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, it can only give you so much. Like, it, what matters is like how you live, like what brings you joy, like who you love, and what's important to you. And of course, all those things are like tied into identity and gender. But 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 those things aren't like. There isn't some sort of like essay definition that really let, you know, there isn't like a organizing principle. Um, but in some way, I think I was aware of that in this show, but I, I think in some, in other ways I, I was, I fell into like the trappings of, of that. Um, and it, it, it is a tricky space that I think in some ways I, I'm still kind of trying to reckon with and avoid because um, it's so easy to sort of like in today's kind of America, whatever, to be placed as like um, a placeholder for like an identity. Um, and of course they're like, there are some, but there's not many like anti-Zionist Israeli trans women in New York making art, you know? So it's sort of like easy to hold on to this like singular identity space, um, which I think in moments can be powerful and useful, but a lot of times to me feels like a trapping. Um, so, but at the time I was also leaning into, so I think that was, that's sort of where I am in relationship to that show today. Um, yeah. Feels sense. very young to me now, but I also love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, how does, yeah, how, I, since you didn't grow up here and obviously in, in this era, like identity politics is its own beast, beast. <laughs> <laughs> we said at the same time, um, yeah. How do you relate to that as both coming from two, two different cultures since American, the, especially Americanism is like in the like liberal woke, you know, parts of. Brooklyn and New York have its own specific version, especially in a cultural sphere of identity politics. Um, how do I, I mean, I, I think it's so, I think there's so many layers, I think, a lot of times it feels these days like noise. Um, it feels um, in some ways rehashed, like you're hearing the same catchphrases, the same notions, the same sort of like dogmatic kind of like linear, clean, like easily marketable kind of like okay, this is how we use this identity to essentially like sell this thing. And then you also see a lot of people like who are aware of that. And I think there's sort of that's, that's kind of where it gets tricky is where 
there's this sometimes feeling where people are like, okay, this is what I, this is the, this is what I need to do in order to like have access to the shit I need. You know, I think that's the sort of scary thing about capitalism. It's like, it's like, it would have been easy if you're like, okay, these people, this is all trash, you know, but it's also like, okay, I, I, people need to do what they need to do in order to survive. Um, Right. And I think sort of the, the, the place where it gets especially concerning here, I guess, versus back home is that like, For me, not always, but a lot of times it's like, it's something you can put on and and and, and take off. Um, you can like enter a space and be like, okay, I'm going to talk in this kind of way about this kind of issue because it's important to this kind of thing. Um, but then also like in your interpersonal relationships and the way you conceive of yourself, you can like sort of hold space to the fact that it's like, it's all so much messier and and more um, and like malleable and like the way we truly understand ourselves and each other, I think is not like, again, it's not sort of like easily defined. Um, and so when I'm in situations where there's sort of like a public kind of fronting thing with someone, with someone who is, let's say, American, and we're sort of putting on this thing, and then we keep talking. I'm at over at dinner. We're having a conversation, and the conversation still feels like we're in a fucking like, like Instagram caption. That's where I'm like, okay, this is like, this is um, hard, uh, just because I think it it kind of it kind of counters intimacy and it kind of counters like an ability to really kind of sense a person. Like, I feel like here, the way I experience identity is that a new person meets you and the first thing they do is sort of like, it's almost like they scan you and they like place you on a sort of map of different variables of like where you are in the food chain, clout, what privilege or awareness you do or not have. And it's sort of like before there was any energetic exchange, you've sort of like in some ways been like decided upon. And then you need to sort of like learn how to break that. Uh, you you constantly need to learn how to play with these like preconceived perceptions. And, and again, this is a generalization, but sometimes when I'm in different places, I have more of that experience of like, oh, we're like maybe experiencing each other. Like, how do we like each other's vibe? Like, what is this doing to our like feeling and body that we're talking? Like there's a bit more of like um, openness to kind of experience the the, the person ha as they are. Uh, right, the nuance. Yeah, the nuance and just like, like I love and I agree to a certain, the you know there's this like entertainment industry notion of i didn't see anyone who looks like me um as if sort of like the which which again and, I, and i'm not sort of like trying to belittle like the the deep importance of that but but sort of places that like 
the way someone looks, their like physical body, which again is also gender and race and all those things um, as like the main identifier of, of connection. And I just think of all these fucking people who I was and still I'm obsessed with who, who don't look like me at all. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, I saw this like random Nina Simone concert on YouTube when I was 17 and something about what she was saying between songs, I was like, this is how I feel. And like, how beautiful that I'm also able to like make this genuine connection with someone whose circumstances are like nothing like mine, you know? And like, I think the way we find connection and, and affinity and love with people um, is not only uh, is not only based on this like um, kind of codified like identity marker affinity, um, and thank God. And I also think that's like a really important lesson, especially I think you know I grew up in a sort of like the era of like representation that I came into um, sort of like being trans with was the beginning of the sort of like fairy tale chosen family sisterhood model that's meant to counter the kind of like vilifying, um, you know, murderous sort of like transsexual model. But it's sort of the idea that like you come out and you find all these other girls and it's like sisterhood that you've never felt before and like, that's it you know and I think I don't think at least in my experience that's not always true at all and you actually experience a lot of like I've experienced a lot of heartbreak because a lot of us are like traumatized and messy and we like project on each other and we're like in pain and no one taught us how to like cope with trauma and we're like carrying our daddy issues or whatever and like the sort of I know I, I, I've had to find like a balance between sort of like a phase where, where history and identity was being erased to compulsively obsessing over it to it's real and it matters and it informs everything. And also at the end of the day, you sort of have to trust some sort of emotional intuition and emotional work that like your people are your people because they're there for you not because they like are x or y or yeah definitely that was really beautiful thank you mm -hmm. <laughs> um i have a few more questions for you if you feel up yeah. to how did you support yourself while living in new york At first I had some support from family when I just moved. Um, and then at some point it became like just so many odd jobs. Uh, I was I was nannying for a while. I worked in like nightlife context I um at some point started doing grant writing which is what I do now um I walk dogs I I literally kind of did everything so it was sort of um yeah like uh <laughs> totally yeah and so 
I know you you've mentioned acting and and your project that you described was both I don't know if, if experimental theater or including acting and I was wondering yeah what you what you consider your work what um what you're wanting to work towards what you're dreaming of working on um yeah I'm I think it's a it's a combination of things um I'm sort of I've I've um I've been trying to get more into like writing in a like TV context in the last few years and just signed this kind of like development deal with this show that I can't really talk about and might happen and might not happen. Um, so I hope that will be a part of it. Um, and then I am currently like a grant writing, um, sort of working with artists and organizations kind of helping them develop like language to uh, get access to the material stuff they need. Um, so I'm happy sort of with that as like an only day job for a while. Um, but eventually I hope like maybe writing for like a TV context can give me the time and space to uh, also like make art that is um, not commercially oriented at all. And also sort of do like some of the organizing that I do that isn't isn't moneyed um but and then I and, and yeah so I think sort of like writing acting performance those yeah. are yeah and that's um what brought you to LA I since you know you're out of New York now yeah partly um I was in New York yes uh, that was sort of like the 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 job impetus. I've also like, as I said, lived in New York for a really long time, and um, winter was always really hard. And I missed the aspects of growing up where like nature is kind of near. And so I I also wanted to test it out. How's it going? Um, I'm not sure yet. I it's it's like on the one hand, there's a lot about it that's really nice. On the other hand, moving is is hard. It, it's it's it can get a little lonely. And I'm in this funny place where I like have enough friends. They're just not here. So I think I'm sort of struggling a bit with the idea of like, wow, I need to like open up to new people, you know, on on an intimate level. Um and also a lot of my work is laptop Zoom work. So I'm sort of here, but I'm also in my apartment in front of the computer with people in New York for a lot of the day. So all that to say that I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm just in the beginning still figuring it out. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I guess some last questions for you. This um, might be too large or just enough but I was wondering I know you mentioned some important people in your life and I was just wondering if there's anyone else you wanted to mention as being sort of formative for you or you know being a rock for you you mean like in in my personal life yeah just in someone um, yeah I mean oh there's so I I think I'm shouting out yeah, my best friends, Ben and Daniel, who I shouted out. And I would say my friend Yasmin and, and Yarden, those are like my friends from back home who I, who I deeply love. 
I'm shouting out my mom, Noemi. She's really great. I'm shouting out my sister, Natalie, um, and her two kids that made me an aunt who is, that's pretty a pretty iconic role, I think. Like no downsides to that. Um, Jonathan and Abigail. Um, I'm shouting out, God, there's so many like New York friends, like Lilith and Rad and Rocco and um, Drea and Nikki and Ayelet and David and, um, and, and Rio and Sid and the whole Survivor crew who, and, um, and Dan and I, I'm probably forgetting people, but I would say that like my, probably my main kind of life achievement, I think, or like my, the thing I can go back to most of like, I probably did something right, is that there's some really, really, some people who I really love, um, who are, who love me back, which is pretty cool. Totally. <laughs> um and i was just wondering if you wanted to add anything else to the record as we as we wrap up if there's something that comes to mind that feels important to say in listening back maybe in years to come at this point in your life um yeah i i think um yeah, I think I was thinking a lot about this, the moment that this interview is happening, um, where there's sort of, I think specifically just it's, it's, it's been a wild few months because in this moment, which I hope will feel like a distant past, but in this moment of, of 2023, there was sort of like, you know, an, an ev heightening even more of sort of like Israeli fascism and, um, genocidal ideology happening alongside the intensifying of uh, this genocidal ideology against trans people all over the U.S. with so much legislation. So I think it feels um, like especially like a time for me where where the future isn't necessarily um, guaranteed. Um, and so I guess, I guess in that there's there's this feeling of sort of just a lot of love and, and appreciation for people who are fighting for there to be a future, for them to have a future. And like, I imagine a lot of people listen, if someone will listen to this, it's, it's either trans people. So I guess just like, A, a deep wish to that we take care of ourselves like that that it it's important that we're here like it, it really is um the most important thing just being alive and, and trying to be well yeah thank you so much it was yeah. so fun to talk to you Thank you.